Welcome to the Riverwood Chapel podcast. We're so excited you're here. Please check out our other content and video uploads at riverwoodchapel.org. Thank you. Good morning, Riverwood. In 1862, Ralph Emerson Waldo, the American poet, he was someone who is a writer known for his American individualism. He coined a phrase that we still use 150 years later. In this work that he had, he used the phrase, hitching your wagon. Hitching your wagon, where did that come from? The hitching your wagon was this idea of a covered wagon and how you would hitch it to a horse. In the 1860s, this is how you moved from point A to point B, hitching your wagon. And so this became a metaphor. He used it about hitching your wagon to a star this individualistic kind of idea. And it's stuck. We still use that phrase today of hitching your wagon. And at the tender age of five, I hitched my childhood wagon to none other than Pete Rose. Pete Rose. Now I realize I had come after the era of the Cincinnati Reds. I had missed that. But 1980 was a good year to start liking Pete Rose because the Phillies had won the World Series in 1980. And on top of that, things were great with Pete Rose. It was wonderful. He became the all-time hits leader in baseball, 4,256, surpassing Ty Cobb. It was wonderful. Hitching my childhood to Pete Rose was wonderful until 1989. In 1989, it all came crashing down. He was the manager of the Reds at the time, and he was caught betting on baseball. Betting on baseball, and the the penalty was stiff. How stiff was it? There would be a lifetime ban from baseball. And there was me. Now what do I do? How do you unhitch your wagon to somebody. When something becomes hard or difficult, how do you now become unassociated? Have you ever had that problem? Maybe you too have hitched your wagon to someone or to maybe something or some kind of cause, and everything was wonderful, but then at some point it became too hard too difficult, too embarrassing, and you try to then maybe move away. You see, we're going to have that kind of conversation this morning, Um, hitching your wagon, because every single one of us is hitching our wagon to something. And you're saying, hitching our wagon of what? Our life, and even much deeper than that, our heart, our mind, our worldview. We are hitching our wagon to something much bigger than us. And whether you're seven years old or 77, whether you're here in this moment or whether you're watching us online, you are hitching your wagon of your life to something. All of us are. The question is, what are you hitching your wagon to? That is the one question we're going to answer this morning. What are you hitching your wagon to? That is why we have gathered here, because God's word is going to give us an answer. 
Will it be your answer? Is it your answer? That is what we're going to discover this morning. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to be opening up to the book of Romans. And as we have been studying this letter, um, I'm going to kind of catch us up to where we've been so far. This is our third moment in the letter of Romans. If you're new to our church, welcome. We are glad you're here. And we actually have produced um, some journals as well. You can get one over at the side or even in our foyer. We have them available if you're someone who likes to take notes and kind of keep track of what's happening. Um, But in God's Word, in week one, we see that Paul, he had never been to Rome. He was on his way to Spain, and so he is talking about how he will visit them eventually on his way. And he says in the first, in the first week, we saw that Paul was very passionate about this thing called the gospel of God, the good news of who God is. And then last week, we witnessed firsthand his, his eagerness, his longing. The word he, that we use was zeal. He had a, a zeal of this good news. Now, Paul continues in the next two verses. And what experts and theologians, people agree, this is the theme of the book. If you're wanting to come to like the theme Sunday, you have chosen well because here you are. The theme of the book of Romans is contained in these two verses. If you're someone who likes to highlight verses in your Bible, these are two to highlight. These are really important verses. Paul comes back and centers upon these two verses often. Maybe you would even want to commit these two verses to memory as we study the book of Romans. But this is what Paul says. Hopefully you have your Bible. You can see it for yourself. If not, it'll be on the screens around the room. In chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Two verses. But here's a curious question as we begin. Maybe you were thinking this as well as we were reading it this morning. Why would someone who is excited and filled with zeal for the gospel last week that we saw, why would he feel the need to follow that up with telling people that he isn't ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That seems a bit redundant. It would be like saying, yes, I am very passionate and excited about fill in the blank, pizza, uh, your pet, politics, whatever it is. And for you to then say, well, now I am not ashamed of that would be kind of odd unless, unless what you were defending, what you are passionate about seems a bit odd. Or if there were people who really didn't agree with you, then maybe you would have to then follow that up and say, hey, by the way, what I'm just passionate about here, I am also not ashamed of. Maybe things are odd. Maybe things others might see as stupid. This past week I was was looking at an article that was talking about the oddest things that people in this country 
collect. You can probably imagine it is very odd. Things from bars of soap to toasters to back scratchers. Somebody actually collects toothbrushes, Happy Meal toys. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And a lot of times we look at those things and we're like, well, that's pretty odd. But if you were that person, you might have to then stand up and say, hey, by the way, I am not ashamed that I collect back scratchers. If that's you, I don't know. This is what Paul is facing. He is not ashamed of the gospel, which is something that is going against the grain of what people think is popular. And it's more than just people think that the gospel of Jesus Christ is odd. There is much more to it. How do we know that? This past week I was digging into the book of Acts and going a little bit into the past to say, what did Paul face? What did it actually look like when he was traveling around on his missionary journeys, talking about his faith, talking about Jesus Christ? I took four examples very quickly, just so you can kind of get an idea of what Paul was facing. In chapter 14 in the book of Acts, Paul was in the town of Iconium. And the Bible says that Paul spoke boldly of the Lord. And this is what happened next. It says, but the people of the city were divided when they heard this. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and stone them, they learned of it and they fled. This is what Paul is facing. It wasn't just, hey, we think that's a bit odd. It got people to the point of saying, I'm actually going to pick up this rock and I'm going to throw it at you. In verse chapter 17, he was in Thessalonica. He's preaching the gospel. And then this happened to him. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And the people of the city and the authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. Disturbed? It's it's the gospel. It's good news. It's Jesus Christ. They were disturbed by it. And then Paul, when he was in Athens in chapter 17, he's preaching about the resurrection of Jesus. And here was the reaction there in verse 32 of chapter 17. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked him. You're going to believe that somebody was dead and rose again? And they mocked. They mocked him. And then a little bit later when he was in Jerusalem, Here's another example. It says this, and he was saying these things in his defense. He was speaking of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. Do you see a theme forming here? They weren't just odd kinds of occurrences. Oh, you collect back scratchers. That's kind of odd. No, this is much different, much deeper. They were jailed. Paul was stoned, chased out of town. People didn't just see it as odd. They were angered by it, and they were pushed to this point, and Paul faced this. So this is why Paul says right here in Romans 1.16, this is why he now says, hey, by the way, (laughs) what I'm facing isn't popular. People don't like what I have to say. That's why I am going to say it. I am not ashamed of 
the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am not ashamed of it. Which then leads us to another question. You might be thinking, okay, Paul was facing all of this anger towards the gospel. Well, what is so offensive about the gospel? Why, why are people opposing him with this kind of anger? What could possibly be wrong with a message of, of love and a few moral standards, right? Why are people upset about that? Well, if the gospel was just a message of love and a few moral standards, I am guessing nobody would be opposed to it. But that is not the gospel. That is not the gospel that but Paul was standing up for. And if you think that, that the message of Christianity is just a few nice moral teachings and some messages about love, you have missed the gospel as well. You have missed it. That is not what Paul is saying here. And so our question really, if you're going to be hitching your wagon, <laughs> hitching your wagon, your life, your soul, your mind, your life to this thing called the gospel, then we should probably know what it is. What is it then? Let's go back to the verses. It's offensive in many ways. Let's kind of dig into why people take offense to it. It begins with verse 16. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel, the, the word means good news. And the good news that Paul needs the church in Rome to know is centered squarely on the life of Jesus Christ. The gospel is centered. That's the first thing that's offensive. It's centered upon Jesus. Jesus Christ so you're thinking, well, what's the shame in Jesus? <laughs> well, it may start possibly with his birth. You go all the way back to his birth. Let's go back to Christmas and just, just remind ourselves of some of those carols we sing and remind us of what we truly believe about Christmas Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. We're doing really well. Everybody loves that line. But the next line is really maybe one that maybe you sing under your breath. Round yon virgin, mother and child. What? We actually believe there was a, a birth that wasn't normal here. You do realize it, right? And we sing about it. We actually believe that Jesus Christ came in a very different way into this world of the virgin. Oh, that's not so popular. But then how about the life of Jesus? I mean, Jesus went and he did miracles. He hung out with people, hung out with his disciples. And we love all those moments. But what about the moments when Jesus says, I am God? 100% man, 100% God. Wow, mind-blowing. We actually believe that. You do? And then we get to Easter time. This is... This is really the, maybe 
the biggest one of them all, that people might think, hmm, really? We believe that a man was dead for three days. Three days dead, not just pretending to be dead. He met the threshold of dead, three days dead. And we actually believe that he rose from the grave, conquering death, conquering sin. We actually believe that. You see, the world wants to place Jesus in the same category as Santa Claus and Easter bunnies. The world wants to see this as a fairy tale, make-believe. And the narrative of the world out there looks at Jesus Christ and says, really? You're you're really going to believe in him, right? And for Paul, he would say, sign me up. Sign me up. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's centered upon Jesus Christ, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. Sign me up. I'm hitching my wagon to him. Paul was not ashamed of that. Even when the world was like, really? You're going to believe in that? Yes. But for Paul, it goes much deeper than just that. That's just the beginning of the gospel, that it's centered upon Jesus and its offensiveness to the world. Paul continues, I am am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You see, some might say, well, that's good for you, Paul. (laughs) You want to believe in that? Go ahead. I have my own beliefs. And Paul's going to say in that moment, "Um, uh, actually, no, that's not how it works. Because this, this gospel is for everyone. You see, we're all in this boat together, all of us, all of humanity, young, old, rich, poor. We are all in this boat of humanity, and this gospel is for you as well. And notice the word that Paul says. It's about salvation. Salvation. This, this gospel, this good news. The word that Paul uses here, it means of being delivered, being rescued, It it speaks of deep trouble in a problematic situation that mankind finds him in the midst of. This past week, like many of you, I've been following the ongoing stories of the destruction of of the wildfires in the state of California. And these kinds of images are all over the internet. The amount of acreage that is being burnt is devastating. Large, large amounts even to the point where there's whole towns that are being burnt. And I was reading this, a story about uh, a group of people that are just trapped. There is fire. They are surrounded by fire. And the story I was reading was about the National Guardsmen who are willing to fly helicopters in to these places and rescue people. These are incredible stories. And this is a picture of one of those uh, large helicopters filled with people. Can you imagine? Place yourself in that moment. Everything is of despair. All that you know is burning. And then all of a sudden, this helicopter flies in and rescues you. And the people flying out can only imagine the joy that they had. You see, this is what Paul's trying to communicate in the back half of verse 16. 
he, he's basically communicating that every human being who has ever lived is surrounded by flames. You're surrounded in a desperate place. Your heart is broken. You are in a bad, bad place, and you are in desperate need of salvation. You are in desperate need of, of rescuing. This is what Paul says. And so in Romans, he uses this word over and over again to communicate, like, what, what is actually going on here? Um, in verse 9, uh, in a little bit later in Romans, Paul says this, he says, since therefore we have been now justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved? The same word. How much more will we be saved by him from the wrath of God? So all of us are in need of salvation. We're in need of a saving from what? Well, there's God who is, who is angry. What, what is God angered about? He's angered. There's the wrath that must be satisfied by him. A little bit later, or back into chapter 1, Paul says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We're going to get into that more next week. But here's the, the bigger deal. That here's what's going on. Paul is saying, you and I are in need of rescuing, of salvation. Why? Because God is angry with mankind. Because we are broken and sinful people. And something needs to happen. There needs to be a rescue. There needs to be a story that is much bigger than us. And that's why this isn't just, that's good for you, and maybe I'll find my own way. No, this is, Paul is saying, no, this gospel is for everyone. We're all in this desperate state of rescue. And so to have the conversation of salvation, it implies that there is, again, a recognition that we are in need of help. Now, take that message outside of these walls and start having this kind of conversation with those who you live next door to. And I'm guessing people don't want to have that conversation. I'm fine. I'm good. I'm doing all right. But the truth of the gospel is that, no, you're not. And you're headed on a, a road that is of destruction, of hell. There is something eternal at stake here. And Paul wants people to know that. Hitching your wagon to something that will save you. Salvation. All right, so back to the verses. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's centered upon Jesus, for it is the power of salvation for broken and sinful people to everyone who believes. Which brings us to another difficult moment. The salvation comes only by belief. Belief. What do you need to believe? Well, see, Jesus spent much time time talking in the Gospels about belief. Let me just point to one of them. You remember the moment that in John chapter 3, Jesus was hanging out with Nicodemus. He was a teacher of the law. And some of the most famous verses of the entire scriptures come from this interaction that he had. Now I'm going to read it, but notice how many times Jesus talks about believing. 
John 3.16 and on says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one, his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved, salvation, through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. If the gospel is, is about believing in what Jesus Christ did for people, it's implied here that it's in people who are in need, in need of rescue. And, and the difficult point that Paul is also addressing that is also implicit here is that salvation is nothing that you or I could ever do. It's nothing that we could add to. Nothing that you can assist with. Nothing in your heritage. Nothing in your personality. Nothing in your bank account. Nothing can save you. This is clearly a work that God orchestrates. It is only through what Jesus Christ did at the cross, his father did in the resurrection of his son. This is, did not include anything special about us. It is what he has done. And Paul will now wrap around and he says, do you believe this? See, most want to celebrate how wonderful they are, how great I am. I'm doing all right. But the gospel says, no, add up all your good traits, all your good things, your bank account of what you think. And you know what Paul calls that? He calls that garbage. It's garbage. Now have that kind of conversation beyond these walls again. And people are like, wait, wait, you're going to say what about me? Yes, this is what the gospel says. You're in desperate need. There's nothing great about your works or, your, or what you can add to this conversation. You need to be rescued. And oh, by the way, Jesus would also say this. We can't forget that if we're looking for multiple ways and paths for salvation, Jesus would remind us in John 14 of this, which even adds to even more of the difficulty and offensiveness of the gospel. Jesus says this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. So from now on, you do know him and have seen him. You see, the world is looking for multiple paths, multiple ways. You have your road, I have my road, we'll all end up in the same place. And the gospel says, no, that's not right. There's only one path, and it is through Jesus Christ, which again is not popular conversation in the culture we live This is what makes 
the gospel unique. This is what makes the gospel different than any other world religion. So many times you will find some kind of religion that is based on your own righteousness, a works righteousness. You go to this place, you do this many good deeds, you say these kinds of prayers, you do all of this, and you build up your account to hopefully outweigh your bad things. And in the end of the day, you're just going to count it all good. And you're banking on some kind of works kind of righteousness that comes from you. And again, the gospel says, no, that's not true. The world is deceiving you if you believe that. This is not what the Bible says. But we want to be in control of our righteousness. We want to measure and and keep track of it. But again, Paul says this. He says, no, this is not true. I am not ashamed of the gospel. This gospel that is centered upon Jesus Christ. It is the power of God for salvation. We are all in need of deep rescuing. We cannot do it on our own. For all who believe, you're believing in something you can't see. You're having faith. And in verse 17, Paul says, this righteousness that we need is of God, not man, revealed by faith. It's always been about faith. Paul says it's been faith to faith. He even quotes something from the Old Testament here. Faith to faith. It's always been about faith in God, in what he is doing, and not in what we are doing. All right, so let's summarize. I know I've been talking for a while, but I asked the question, what is so offensive about this gospel? There's four points I just want to make mention of, just so we're clear as we get further into this study. And then we're going to ask one last question of, that we're going to end with. But why is it offensive? Paul would encounter others. He would, you even heard it in 1 Corinthians this morning in our reading, most people see it as foolishness. Why? Here's, here it is. It's, the gospel is centered upon Jesus Christ. His birth, his life, death, and resurrection. That's offensive. Secondly, the gospel is about man's salvation. It's God's wrath against sin and a needed rescue. It's offensive. Third, the gospel is about belief in the righteousness of Jesus not in what we have done. Nothing that we could have added to. It's offensive. And lastly, the gospel is exclusive. Not many roads leading to the same place. No, it is exclusive. So, look at these statements. This is why Paul had to say, this is why he had to stand up in Romans 1, 16 and 17 and say, I am not ashamed of the gospel. This, for these reasons right here. This is what he was willing to die for. This is what he was willing to be stoned for. This is what angered people. This is what he was hitching his wagon to. This is the gospel in all of its unpopularity. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, here's the question that we're answering this morning on this Sunday morning as we've gathered together. 
What are you hitched to? What are you hitched to? Everyone's life, everyone's heart, your mind, your soul is hitched to something. What is it hitched to? Can you say with confidence this morning, I am not ashamed of the gospel? You see, for some who sit here and for those who might be watching, some, their, might, their answer to that question might be, I'm out. I am ashamed. If, if that is what the gospel is about, count me out. I will go do it my own way. I'm off doing something else. That happens often in the Bible. There are many times when the gospel was presented and people in that moment said, this is too difficult. And they walked away. And I'm guessing for some who hear this this morning, that might be your reaction too. You might be walking away saying, I can't do it. But for others, you have a different answer. When the question is asked, are you ashamed of the gospel? Your answer is, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. But before that, I have one more question. What gospel are you not ashamed of? What gospel are you not ashamed of? You see, many times we, we take the hard kind of moments away. We kind of soften the edges. I, I liken that to this past week I was talking about maybe that relative you have that you're not so fond of. I mean, you're related, but you always keep at arm's length. And when people want to know, hey, are you related to that person? You're kind of like, um. You see, many times I think we can be the kinds of people who keep Jesus at arm's length. When people start asking hard questions about, do you really believe a dead man rose from the grave? You really believe that? Um... Do you really believe that Jesus is the only way? Come on now. Um, what gospel are you not ashamed of? Your own gospel? Or the gospel of Jesus Christ? The one in whom we embrace our Savior. It's centered upon him. It's about him and all of his glory and all of his inclusiveness of people, but then also in his exclusivity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What are you hitched to? What are you, what are you really hitching your life to? My desperate prayer, oh, my desperate prayer is that you're hitching your life to the one and only gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you want to know more about that, let's explore that together. If you're watching and you have more questions, please, let's, let's interact. This is that important. It is that important that we have these kinds of conversations. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for everyone who believes. Let's pray.
Dear God, we give you thanks. This gospel is not our gospel. If it was, we would have it look a lot different. It would be more palatable. We'd gather larger crowds around, maybe. But that is not the gospel that you have called us to. You have called us something that is odd, something that causes anger in others. You've called us to something that some will call foolishness. You need a crutch. I mean, all of the things that come with this, you, this is what you have called us to, a gospel that is not ashamed of your son and in what he has called us to. So Lord, I pray for those who are here this morning that they are hitching the wagon of their life to that gospel. I pray for those who are watching that they are hitching their wagon to that gospel and that you would use the gospel in this community to do more than we could even ask or imagine in the lives of people who are in desperate need of being rescued from sin and brokenness. It only comes because of what you have done. So please, Do a mighty work in and through your people. Convict us, challenge us, point us into the direction of the only one, your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this by the power of that name, Jesus Christ. Amen.